Well, here we are. It's the last week in May, and we are recording the first ever Show Me Institute podcast with the Show Me Institute policy advisors. I'm joined by Patrick Ishmael, Director of Government Accountability, David Stokes, Director of Municipal Policy, and I'm Susan Pendergrass, Director of Research and Education Policy. And Show Me Institute has been recording podcasts for some time now, but those are generally speaking to folks outside the Show Me Institute. And it occurred to us that maybe, maybe not everyone follows what's going on in Jefferson City quite as closely as we do and what's going on with Missouri policy, but you might be interested. So we decided that it makes a lot of sense for us to at least once a week, take a pause and let folks know like what's happening in this past week in Missouri policy. What do we see coming up? And uh, what are we particularly concerned about and working on? And just to give you a better sense of what's going on in Missouri policy-wise. Um, the legislative session just wrapped up. I think it's a good time to sort of take a breath and look back and see like what we ended up with once it was over. Patrick, I, I feel like you're a good person to help clarify some of that. Yeah, well, so there was a lot that happened. And you know, I've been at Show Me for about 10 years. And, you know, you have sessions that are terribly disappointing and sessions that are really entertaining and really exciting and really good. And I think this was better than average. And, and like you said, there weren't really a whole lot of bills that were passed. Um, in, in 2021, there were, uh, according to Legiscan, there were only 24 bills that, that actually got to the finish line and are now to the governor's desk. Mm -hmm. You, you, you put that in contrast to past years. Uh, I mean, usually the legislature passes about 100 bills a year. Um, last year, in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, the legislature still passed 49 bills. And so when you see that number, you know, there aren't a whole lot of bills passed. But at the end of the legislative session, and this is always kind of expected, but was this on steroids this year? Um, is you had a lot of log rolling. You had a lot of amendments to bills that might have been about local government, for instance, uh, and was originally, say, only about checkbooks, uh, local checkbooks. And then there were just a bunch of local government bills amended onto it. And so while there may not have been necessarily a lot of bills passed, there was a lot of policy that ended up getting passed. And I would say this was a fairly good year overall. Uh, we saw a local checkbook transparency uh, Bill, what, what do you mean, checkbook transparency? So checkbook transparency. We've talked about this in the past. Is the idea that if you're a local government, uh, you should be producing your spending records on a regular basis, whether it's every six months or every year. Um, the, tre the Missouri Treasurer's Office has their Show Me Checkbook. Uh, we had our Show Me Checkbook project, so uh, certainly we're sympathetic to what the Treasurer's Office is doing currently. But this new uh, legislation puts a uh, basically a, a checkbook monitoring uh, program into place in the Office of Administration. So it's more transparency. It's good. It's voluntary, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, but local governments, I think, are starting to get the, used to the idea of the expectation of them producing their spending. Because if they can take your money through taxation, sure. they, they should be showing you how they're spending that money. Um, we saw a, a, a fairly robust opposition to Medicaid expansion. And that is in itself a bill. Um, but that is something that I think was a pretty big uh, contentious point, which will probably be litigated over the summer. So that's not legislation, but that was an issue that was uh, certainly hotly debated. Uh, and I think that, you know, if you talk to Elias Chapalis, our, uh, our analyst that's an expert in this space, uh, he'll tell you that Medicaid expansion is uh, a bad idea, mostly because Medicaid itself as a program is broken. Uh, and so, uh, but we're going to probably see litigation about this over the summer. Well, let's, I want to talk about that for a quick second. Sure. Because it's all over the news and people, 
you know, there's so much out there about re the state by referendum passed Medicaid expansion and then the legislature didn't fund it. But as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, what the state voted on, what people went to the polls and voted on was a referendum that said Medicaid expansion would save money. Therefore, it didn't, it may save money or cost money. It sort of included zero in the middle of the range. Therefore, they didn't put any information in that referendum regarding how it would be paid for because it might have saved money or might have cost money. And as I understand it, if a program has to be funded, then that the people had to vote on both the item and how it would be paid for. And since it was missing the how it would be paid for, the legislature wasn't obligated to fund it. Do I have that right? I, yeah, that's 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 right. What basically what's required is that if you're going to have something that costs money, you have to either have a way to pay for it that's explicit, uh, or the legislature has the option to appropriate it or not. Uh, and the the litigation that happened last year basically said that the Medicaid expansion proposal could remain on the ballot because it wasn't going to cost money, or if it was going to cost money the legislature could just not fund it. And so it went to the ballot, it was passed through, and now the legislature has an option whether to fund the expansion or not. They've chosen not to, to, to fund it. And now um, the litigation is now surrounding whether the courts are going to try to compel uh, the legislature to fund the expansion. So on the front side, you have, uh, uh, there doesn't have to be a, uh, uh, an appropriation so it can go to the ballot. And now they're going to try to compel an appropriation after it's already been passed on the ballot. So is a mess in, in short, but it's a very interesting space. I know because the news is like they had to fund it, which I think they don't have to fund it, which is why they didn't fund it. Because, you know, the budget is also in a weird spot this year. But what about like um, COVID related legislation? Was there anything that we kept going from? I mean, I think you can still sell cocktails by the glass to go is that right <laughs> yeah you, you saw some uh, regulations that, yeah you saw some regulations that were temporarily uh, waived and you know they were made permanent uh, i think there's still ways to go on a few healthcare items including in telemedicine and, and scope of practice but um you know last year missouri passed a really comprehensive and really good interstate license reciprocity bill which basically says that if you have a license to be a physician or a wide variety of other health professionals in another state and other professions in general, uh, you can take that license and bring it to Missouri without having to go through a whole uh, uh, re-enrollment process. So long as you're in good standing, so long as you don't have any complaints out against you, that sort of thing. Um, that increases supply of those professions in the state. It's a really good policy. We've talked about it for years and then coronavirus came around and made uh, it seemed obvious to everyone that we were right, uh, uh, which is great. But, you know, we don't want to have pandemic, but at least people recognize that we needed more professionals. Even outside the coronavirus space, we saw uh, the Wayfair bill. And well, I want to ask about that. That was the last thing I was going to ask about because I shopped at Wayfair. And <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of people hear about the Wayfair bill and it's not readily uh, understandable what that means. Um, what does it mean? So uh, Missouri doesn't uh, or hadn't technically required the collection of internet sales taxes. And uh, there has been concern among brick and mortar stores that they are at a disadvantage because out of state 
uh, uh, retailers may be able to have an advantage, a 7% advantage or what have you, because okay. they don't have to pay an internet uh, sales tax on those products being shipped from their facility to Missouri. Um, there is some confusion as well, because I think people think that places like Amazon uh, are, aren't paying sales taxes, when in fact, a lot of those operations already are because yeah, they yeah. have Nexus, they have a, a an actual distribution facility. What about a well, in any, any probably place, already are right. Yeah, well, in any place, in any internet retailer that has an operation in the state of Missouri is already paying that internet sales tax. Um, and so, what what the bill ended up doing, though, and this is something that we've talked about before, because sales taxes in general are a pretty good way of funding government. But if you're going to have a new tax applied to internet sales like this, and the people who are paying that sales tax are Missourians. I mean, we have to be clear about that. It's not just sure. retailers, it's Missourians who are paying it. Um, then Missourians should also be getting a, a tax cut someplace else so that it's effectively revenue neutral. And so they pass this internet sales tax, but they also pass an income tax reduction. It's revenue neutral. It's, like, it's good policy. Uh, and it's the best policy that you can really hope for under the circumstances. But um, they've been talking about doing this for I don't know, four or five years. And this year they actually got it done and they got it done in a, in a, in a good kind of way, which I think we can all be pretty happy about. And it wasn't the only tax that got passed. Of course, there was a gas tax that got passed, which mm -hmm. may end up being subject to a referendum. Um, there was uh, some TIF reform, uh, some changes to the definition of uh, blight. Um, um, there, there was a lot that, that these are things that we at the Show Me Institute have talked about for a long time, right? We've had these things in our legislative blueprint. It's a lot of things that we believe will help Missouri be a stronger, more pro-growth state, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I got to move on to something else we've talked about a long time, which is school choice legislation. Um, mm -hmm. Also happened this legislative session. What I heard anecdotally, so no one out there quote me, but that the Senate and the House were not getting along this year and they were having a hard time passing each other's bills. And the Senate... The House passed a school choice bill for the first time, I think ever, where um, low income and students with disabilities could apply for scholarships and those scholarships would be funded through donations from citizens and companies uh, to scholarship organizations. And in exchange for those donations, the individual or the corporation can take a tax credit. So they're funded by donations, just like nonprofits usually are, but rather than the donations being a tax deduction, they're a full 100% tax credit against taxes owed to Missouri. Uh, seems like a great bill. We're pretty excited because it's something the Show Me Institute also has talked about for a long time. I do think COVID probably, just like um, other things like occupational licensing reform, brought it to the surface because so many parents were quite honestly just extremely unhappy this past year, um, really frustrated, really didn't like the one thing that was available to their child and wanted something else. So program happens. However, in order to get it to pass, in the Senate, some deals were struck, and um, one of them might actually be kind of a fatal flaw. It is extremely complicated insofar as that the program doesn't go into effect unless transportation funding is in, like doubled, and um, there's no agreement right now on what, how much transportation funding money is owed we know what the legislature appropriated. We don't know if it hits the threshold or not. So the program is now pretty much at risk just because of bad language in the bill. So um, while I also observed 
it got towards the end of the legislative session. We're all getting a little bit nervous. We're tracking. We're like, we only have five more days. You know, are they going to do anything? Uh, I think sometimes you can end up with kind of, uh, I don't want to say sloppy, but you can end up with language that has to go back and be cleaned up. Well, I think, I think sloppy is exactly the right word for well, it. Well, I'm trying not to be judgmental, <laughs> but it seems but, sloppy. But, it, but it's kind of like, and, and the, the legislature is always this way, is that they will get to basically the last week and a half where they have to pass all of their budget bills. They have to pass all their priorities all at the same time. And inevitably something gets overlooked. And, and I, I, there are a lot of well-meaning legislators that do a lot of really great work. And they're really, uh, you know, top proponents and advocates for a lot of these issues. But uh, I think part of it might just be structural. In, in the Senate, you have filibusters at the drop of a hat. And so that puts everything at risk all, all the time. They shut down the last day of the session. Yeah. Right? And the last day of the session, they hope to get stuff done. The Senate filibustered and at like 1 p.m. they just said, you know, we're done for the year. Right. Um, so if everything is always under threat, then of, I mean, uh, you know, there, there are gonna be mistakes made. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, studying for a test the night before. I mean, you, you, you'll probably get something that's passable, but at the same time, it's not necessarily your best work. And, and un unfortunately, I, I just think that I mean, there something has to give in the Senate. By and large, the Senate, I think, did pretty well this year, all things considering what given its past. Right. But, but the Senate really is, unfortunately, uh, the biggest obstacle to comprehensive reform and, and really reliable reform, precisely because everything becomes an emergency when it really doesn't need to be. That's right. We have six months. I always think in like December, like the bills are getting pre-filed. We're going to do it this year, but it doesn't work out. And as much as I would love to talk about the ESA bill, you know, every day I get one or two questions from folks, just either general public or media. Oh, how's this going to work? Um, what about that transportation thing? And uh, a colleague of mine spoke to somebody in the treasurer's office yesterday and they don't know. I mean, it is just like, well, we don't know. We don't know what total transportation funding was. We don't know if we hit 40%. So it is really a shame, but um, hopefully we can get it fixed or hopefully we can figure out it, that it qualified and people can start donating to these scholarship organizations because lots of kids need these scholarships. But um, sticking with the issue of taxes, David, I want to go to the local level. I live in the city of St. Louis. We complain a lot that we have to pay property taxes and they and others don't. Like as a homeowner, I have to. A lot of corporations don't have to because they take on big projects. And in exchange for doing them, they're told you don't have to pay property taxes, which is a pretty sweet deal. But it seems like the new mayor, Tashara Jones, is going to try to fix that, clean it up a little bit. Well, it, remain, it remains to be seen how far they're willing to go. But, but certainly in the, in the area of tax subsidies, state and local tax credits, tax subsidies, the like, we've, it looks like we're seeing you know, a couple steps forward here. And at the same time, we're seeing several steps back. So let's, let's focus on the steps forward. And at the state level, I mean, Patrick mentioned the Wayfair bill, which was Senate Bill 153. And while the, the online sales tax components of that bill are extremely important, that bill also, as Patrick mentioned briefly, has some important tax subsidy reforms in it. Like what? Um, some reforms on tax increment financing, some reforms on how community improvement districts or SIDS are operated. How did they, how did SB 153 um, improve it? Well, it tightened up some definitions for, for blight and the like, but that's really not the biggest part. I think, I think the biggest part when related to, to SB 153 and tax increment financing is the, the prohibition on the use of TIF in the floodplain 
which oh, okay. is one of the worst uses of TIF. Now there are there are some exceptions to this. Uh, certain port and levee districts are still able to use TIF in a floodplain. Certain certain large cities and counties got themselves completely exempted from that. Uh, fortunately, St. Louis and City and St. Louis County did not exempt themselves. So this is this is very good. Even even with the exemptions, this is a, a very nice change. Um, Missouri so we, likes to, gives away a lot of money in tips, right? More than most states. Ab absolutely. I mean, we just I've, we've I mean billions and billions of dollars in tax increment financing over the past thirty years or so, or so. And and here's the most important part: you could you could almost justify it if there was evidence that it worked, if it helped grow our economy, but but absolutely the overwhelming amount of economic studies of the use of tax increment financing and other economic development tools shows that they don't work. They, sure. they just do not work. And Missouri's growth over the past few decades, Missouri's economic growth rates and the growth rates in St. Louis and Kansas City and the areas that use economic development subsidies extensively. I mean, all of that goes just proves that fact that this is this is not working to grow our economy. The East-West Gateway Council of Governments did an enormous study a few years back on these use of subsidies in St. Louis and just demonstrated how it just was not working at all. It, it's always, all these subsidies are passed under the idea of helping blighted areas, helping the, the poor, getting investment in depressed communities. And then stunningly enough, the, the companies that can hire the, the lawyers and the accountants and the, the urban planners and the public relations teams, uh, the money always seems to get spent in wealthy areas like West St. Louis County or the Central West End, places that absolutely don't need subsidies whatsoever. And that's where the recent moves by St. Louis's new mayor, Mayor Tashara Jones, are so interesting and, and exciting. Where what do you she think vetoed, where She recently vetoed two TIF packages that had been approved by, by the city agencies that make these decisions and the Board of Aldermen, and she vetoed them. And one is the city foundry, and another was a, a apartment complex near St. Louis University. And furthermore, she and a newly elected alder person from the area for the, so like the southeast part of the Central West End have delayed a tax increment financing package in Cortex, with the very, the very popular and successful Cortex development along the Forest Park Parkway in the Central West End. They've delayed that TIF and put that on hold for now. And I would love to see for the city of St. Louis to start being far more disciplined and judicious in its use of, of, tax of all tax subsidies and to really focus on growing the tax base as opposed to as opposed to depending so highly on the earnings tax and then forcing yourself into that earnings tax dependency by reducing the property and sales tax base with so many unnecessary and unbeneficial uh, tax subsidies yeah, and I mean, property really, tax giveaways. St. Louis could take in a lot more tax revenue if they stop letting developers keep keep it. Absolutely, a absolutely. And they're doing it in, these vetoes came in areas that are, are growing successful parts of the city of St. Louis. They do not need Sure. Substantial subsidies. I would argue they don't need any subsidies, but but the mayor vetoed these bills saying that the subsidies were far too generous, and and she was certainly right about that. So it's but my hope. Some aldermen are pushing back on her, right? Ab absolutely, and that gets into 
those, you know, SB 153 and Mayor Jones and her administration actions, those are the positive steps forward. But of course, there's there's been a number of steps backward too, just in, in recent weeks. And, and we've seen the sort of, I think companies around the state are gonna start using COVID as an excuse to request more subsidies. And it just goes, it goes to show the, how hard this is gonna be for Mayor Jones's administration, because over the past few days, there's been a number of, of, hear, of hearings of city boards, the Enhanced Enterprise Zone Board, the Land Clearance Redevelopment Authority Board, the TIF Board, and Chummy Institute personnel, we've been we've been jumping on the Zoom meetings and, and participating in, in well, listening in at these meetings. We're not really allowed to participate, but listening oh, yeah. in and it's sort of like all the joy of attending a probably a beheading in Middle Ages Europe to just watch <laughs> how this watch how this happens. And it's just so frustrating to see these boards just give away so many additional subsidies. Like it's just so rote and standard with so with so little thought. So little lacking of any evidence that these subsidies will be beneficial or will work. I mean, we saw the the, the EEZ and LCRA boards granted $92 million in additional land, industrial revenue bonds, which are one type of subsidy, to a new hotel just west of downtown that had already been given tens of million dollars in TIF a few years back. And now they've come back requesting more. This is the old YMCA development. Yeah just a few blocks west of the main part of, of, of downtown there. They've already gotten a giant subsidy. Now they want more and a city board approves that. Hopefully Mayor Jones can, can push back on, on okay. that. But so, so I'm sorry, we're gonna have to wrap up a little bit. I wanna know, what are you gonna watch this next week? I'm well, there's gonna be so, but there's, at the same time, Susan, it's just the other night, St. Louis County approved up to $130 million in subsidies for a new studio out in Chesterfield. I saw that, movie studio. It's beyond preposterous. The Chesterfield deserves these types of $100 million in, in tax subsidies. It's not for, just St. Louis, what's going on in uh, Boonville? Oh, ab absolutely, it's not just St. Louis. In, in, I just wanna get you worked We actually up. have good news is that, that the Boonville TIF seems to at a minimum be stalled as some citizen activists have pushed back against that. But the frightening part there is that Developers in mid-Missouri seem to have caught on that there's, yes. this, there's these sweetheart deals in St. Louis and Kansas City and Columbia, and they want to get in on that action. Yeah. And it seems to be spreading throughout the rest of Missouri. And, and finally, in, in Crestwood, they just announced yesterday, there's a hearing on it tonight, that the new, Deer, a new Deerbergs in Crestwood wants a $17 million tiff at Crestwood Mall. And it's just... This and I'm sure COVID is going to be one of their justifications for that. So, so we're seeing the constant effort of more and more requests for subsidies uh, as we come out of COVID now, and it's it's very very frustrating. So, David, one more topic that might be uh, local interest is I've been hearing about the Kansas City Police Department and some funding issues with them. What do you know about that? Well, I know that they've redirected about forty two million dollars to community outreach, community engagement, and other, a different type of focus on police work from more of the traditional police work. The traditional police work, which I, I would say over the past 25 years has been that type of traditional policing that's led to the dramatic decreases in crime that we've seen around this country, and including in St. Louis and Kansas City, despite the fact that 
until the recent crime wave, crime was still too high there, but it was way down from where it had been decades ago. And now it's increasing dramatically in, in both cities and around the country. But with the timing is what is so interesting. Because here, having sat through numerous discussions about the Kansas City earnings tax in February and March before the vote in early April, we heard many times from supporters of the earnings tax in Kansas City, how the earnings tax was so important to funding police and fire and other necessary public services. And that's of course all true, but certainly nobody, the politicians out there in support of the earnings tax, nobody ever said, hey, also in six weeks, we're gonna announce that we're gonna take $42 million of the money raised by the earnings tax to fund the police department and transfer it to a different type of, of police work, to community engagement and community outreach. And I can't help but imagine that that's not a coincidence that they held off on this announcement till after the Missouri legislative session was done before the legislature could push back against it. And also until the earnings tax had been reapproved. I'm not gonna try to claim that the result of the earnings tax vote would have been different had it been announced six weeks ago. But I have to imagine that some Kansas City voters would have liked to have had this additional information that this was coming down the pike when they made that when they made that choice. And I think it's uh, unfortunate that for, for as, part, as part of this campaign in Kansas City, it was consistently stated, say, fund the police. We need this for police work. And let's, oh, by the way, leave out that we're going to dramatically change how we fund the police just a few weeks after this vote has passed. So I think that was a, a very unfortunate uh, decision to both change the funding level, but particularly unfortunate to do it in the manner that they did it after, so just a few weeks after the earnings tax was retained. Yeah, and, and to add to that, I mean, Kansas City did defund the police department. I mean, that they have reduced the funding from its last level. I think this idea of, you know, especially for supporters of it, uh, to talk about it being like a different appropriation. No, it's a, it's a defunding. And the, the, the fact that the, the council people that, objected to it most strenuously were all from the same area. I think goes back to your point, Phil, about the, you know, if the north of the river, because these are these where these four council people came from is north of the river. Uh, if they had known that the police were going to be reduced in funding, they may have made a different decision about whether they were going to vote for the earnings tax. I remember five years ago, uh, the North uh, Patrol Division uh, was part of this uh, campaign against the earnings tax at that time. And the suggestion was that, well, if, if you know, we get rid of the earnings tax, you may lose police coverage in the, the North Patrol Division. And I think at that time they had just built a new building for them. And so this was very fresh for the people, Northlanders here in, in Kansas City. And so the fact that this was done all in one day over the course of probably about eight hours from the time it was introduced to the time that it was actually pushed through and, and, and made law, and that the four council persons north of the river who uh, apparently hadn't been told that this was happening at all, um, they, they understand that this is defunding. They were cut out for a reason. And I think that there's a, another you know, uh, interesting untold story about the politics of this as well, which we won't get into here, because this doesn't just happen out of nowhere. Uh, the, the fact that this was dropped at this time, like you say, after, after the vote on the earnings tax, after the legislative session's over, you know, uh, it was all for a reason. But, but why you would cut out uh, 
a portion of the city that is actually actually brings in a great deal of tax revenue that the city relies on very heavily. And that if Kansas City was like St. Louis, uh, these areas would be suburbs. Kansas City would not have them as part of their tax base. The fact that they were cut out of this conversation, I think, is really remarkable. And I think that you know we're only just beginning to see the consequences of this pretty. What looks like a hasty decision, but is was probably decided, you know, weeks ago. Um, and we'll see if the legislature comes back in for a special session to try to deal with this particular. You know, they have a whole list of potential special sessions now, uh, and now they have another one that may be on their plate with uh, uh, police funding levels in Kansas City. Kansas City wants to have local control of the local politician control of their police department. I don't know how this advances their cause. Okay, so this is the first time we've done this. We had to sort of catch up. There was a lot to talk about. Um, however, we did sort of talk about what we what we reviewed, what has been going on. I'd like to know, David, what are you going to be looking for in this next week? Because we're going to talk next Friday again or Thursday. Well, I'm going to be looking to see. I'm going to be looking to see how how so many of the things we've been discussing what actions are taken over them in the next week. Is, are there hearings that folks should know about? There's a there's a Crestwood TIF hearing tonight. It's not the public hearing, so it's not opportunity to testify. But tonight, thir Thursday night, there's a May 27th is when we're taping. There's a hearing tonight. It'll be, okay. it'll be interesting to see if any additional vetoes or other orders come down from the mayor's office and the city tomorrow. I'm hoping to get more information on what's happening in Boonville with, with that tip there. And finally, we'll see whether the governor is going to sign SB 153, which I, I understand he is is likely to do so right. i look forward to that happening so i mean that stands for me as well. a lot of this stuff for the next few weeks yeah it stands for me as well and i assume you patrick seeing what the governor signs like a lot of the bills we've talked about passing have not yet been signed by the governor um he does have the option of vetoing them or not signing them and then they go into law so we will all be watching um to see what gets signed and how and maybe special sessions patrick or or what are you going to be watching well, I mean, I think you're exactly right. You hit the, the nail on the head. Special sessions are going to be a big deal, I think, in the next few months. We're, we're talking about a special session for redistricting, which was kind of baked in. We're talking about a, a special session for the provider tax, which deals with Medicaid. We're talking about a special session on a whole host of other potential issues, including, uh, you know, potentially critical race theory, which we haven't really talked about here. But it, it is it is interesting. And when we talked about this earlier, I mean, the, the legislature got a lot of good policy through, but it also left a lot undone. And I think that over the next few weeks and few months, we're going to find out exactly what the legislature is going to come back for uh, and uh, find out, uh, you know, what the governor actually signs and what the, the legislature might have to come back and do redo again if the if the governor finds something that, that's concerning inside the legislation. It's going to be an interesting next few weeks and months. And that's not even, uh, you know, talking about the potential you know, referendum on the gas tax. Uh, it, it's an exciting time to be in policy. It can also be a very frustrating time, uh, but uh, certainly we have plenty of work in front of us to do and we'll be doing it for a while. And I'm going to be looking at uh, whether or if they decide that the um, budget hits the transportation benchmark for the school choice program. And if, and if it does, how that's going to begin to be implemented because uh, individuals and businesses need to know that they can donate to these scholarship organizations. So there's going to be a lot of work there to implement and gear up that program. Um, so we'll check back in next week. 
For more Show Me Institute podcasts, visit showmeinstitute.org.